Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. Today, we're turning the tables, so to speak. This three-part series will be a little different than what you've come to expect from us. Today, I'm handing over the host duties to our executive producer, Christopher Hasiotis, who's going to be putting me in the hot seat and asking me all the tough questions that we usually reserve for our wonderful guests. During this first episode, Christopher and I dig into some of my early influences from studying economics and urban planning in college to eating my way across France as a young adult. It's been a lot of fun for me to sit down with Christopher and reflect on all the things that shaped me into who I am, and I hope you all have as much fun as I did. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to Christopher. Chris, take it away. Thanks for having me. And listeners, thanks for putting up with me chatting here with Jeffrey. Uh, Mine is not a voice that you may have heard before, but we're going to keep the focus on Jeffrey because we here at iHeart thought he's done a, a really terrific job of digging into the backgrounds and the lives of his guests on this podcast. But as Jeffrey said, we're turning the tables, and we know it's such a treat to get to know Jeffrey as a personality, as a chef, as a family man, as a businessman. There's a lot to dig into, so I hope you learn something new about Jeffrey Zakarian. On Four Courses, you really like to dig into the early days of people's lives, the formative moments that brought them the success that they now enjoy. I wanted to talk to you about some of your studies at Worcester State College. You know, economics was a big focus for you. 
I would like to know why the interest in economics, why that was what you chose to put your energy and attention into in those early days before you became who you are now. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I tell people on first pass, I was always fascinated by the stock market and my brother was an investment banker or investor. And so as a kid growing up, I sort of came away with a lot of like paper. Back then it was, everything was on paper. So we'd leave stuff around, I'd read it. And then I had my own charts and I'd graph the stock market. And I read that back of that page that no one reads with all the little fine print. It could still, if you read any newspaper, they still have it printed in, in there. That last two or three pages of the Wall Street Journal, whereas, I mean, it's like 3,000 companies listed every day. They're up, they're down, they're, they're PE ratio, they're, they're change, they're year-to-date earnings. So I used to read that stuff. I don't know why. I just think that for some reason, found it fascinating that someone would track this and um, I grabbed onto that, uh, probably with one hand, not both hands. <laughs> I grabbed onto that pony and I wrote it a bit. And I went to school and, you know, when they say, what's your major? I, I picked economics because obviously my, all those papers lying around, I did that. But I uh, actually went to Worcester State College, but in between I changed over to University of Massachusetts. So I actually bounced back and forth between Worcester State, which I spent a year at, then I left and went to UMass. I spent a year at UMass. I didn't like it. And I came back to Worcester State and I graduated. So I had a double major. I had a, at Worcester State, I majored in urban studies, which is the study of how cities form and how they come about, what do they create and how that relates to say people and how people move and how people react to cities and density and what that does to the psyche. It's a fascinating sort of thing to study. And so I had two majors. So uh, the economics was just something I held on to. And I guess I carried it over to the uh, restaurant uh, industry because, you know, you cannot own or operate a restaurant unless you know that it's all about making money at the end of the day, how, how shallow that sounds, but it really is because you cannot support two or 300 people and the, their families that they come with it. You can't feed them or give them a paycheck unless you have a break even or you make money. So I know that answers the economics question, but it is in my blood. And uh, it's probably going to stay in my blood. I really, I really enjoy the way that things break down to basically at the end of the day, there's an economic reality to every single situation that we choose for ourselves. I think, Jeffrey, having gotten to know you over the past couple of years and working on this show and having been to some of your restaurants, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, economics is the study of how we value things and the systems that are put in place to grow what's valued. And urban planning, like you said, is really about how people use space, how spaces are built for people, by people, and how those can kind of get in the way of people sometimes. And that it really makes me think about, you know, those first two or three months when you open a restaurant, you design a space the way you think people are going to use it. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, all of our servers are congregating over in this corner. Every time a guest walks in, we thought they would walk past this mural, but 80% of people end up walking past these tables. We've got to change the layout of the restaurants. We've got to make a human space. So, so to me, this makes almost as much sense as someone who says, I went to culinary school, I staged, I cooked, and that's all I know. Yeah, and I did that. And you did that too. Yeah, I did. So, I mean, it's great that you just mentioned something that is so spot on, Chris, and I want to like talk about that for people who are interested. You know, when we open a restaurant, 
you absolutely hit it on the head by saying like, well, okay, this is, you know, the seven menu items, this is a 12 appetizers, this is going to be the home run. This, these fried artichokes are unbelievable. People are killing you, order all these fried artichokes. And then you look at the menu before you open, you're like, you know what? I think we need an option for like some, someone who, who wants just a simple green vegetable. Like, there's not enough, there's, there's too much fried stuff. And, you know, you, you work through that, you know, and it's totally a guess. It's a complete and utter guess. There's absolutely zero science to it. The science starts after the restaurant opens. Then you start collecting data. But before it opens, you have zero data. You have what you've done in the past. So you have the abundance of data from other operations. And that data is only worth so much unless you're going to open the exact same restaurant. And still, that data is still 50% worthless. But when you look at this restaurant, you say, yes, you know, we, we, have some, we need something green. And then one of your cooks will say, hey, chef, you know, we're doing this dish with asparagus ravioli and we have a lot of asparagus tips left over. Let's make like a soup. And I'm like, great. We come up with a soup and I taste it and we, you know, we do a chill soup. We, it's basically like a throwaway to get rid of something that you have to use. And guess what happens? That asparagus soup that you give zero thought to is the best seller. And that's, that's what happens on the formative side with the culinary of it. So yeah, all the effort and tasting you put into those artichokes turn up to be the least selling artichoke. So you put all this work and guess what you do? You take it off the menu because <laughs> it's not selling. So you can't buy artichokes, have them ready to go and they're expensive and just not sell. It's not worth it. So there's an economic value of that food. You know, it's like you got to move versus the sales. So there's artistry, yes, but if it's not selling, you got to change the artistry because you, otherwise you're going to be locked in this, you're going to be swallowed up by the black hole of, of debt and you can't pay your bills, you can't pay your sales tax and you get into this spiral. And, that's, and because you're like, no, it's perfect, I love it, it's my favorite, it's a signature dish. The signature dishes are made by what the customer orders. End of story. And you have to really grapple with that. So that's what you're talking about spatially. I think it happens in a restaurant, spatially and also formatively with the food. And I am a real crazy person. Anyone that knows me, when I walk into a restaurant, we rehearse this before we start building. I'm like, okay, I'm walking in spatially. And where's the bar? It's got to be on the right. It's got to be right over there. Why on the right? Because no one goes left to a bar. It's just... Whatever our gene for walking into restaurants is, the bar is right there on the right. And the best way to walk in is to walk in through a revolving door because you get glimpses of something, you get excited, then you're forced to not look again and you can't wait to see it again and then you come in. So it's a double excitement. That's why I love revolving doors. It's like a peak. It's like a, you know someone lifting their shirt up at a, at a Mardi Gras. You're like, oh my God, let me go see that again. So that's kind of like a, a rather rough rep representation of what it means. But when the bar is on the right, it's just, I think the sensibility is to go right there. Your brain wants it over there. And so we actually practice walking in with the architects and we spray paint where the bar has to start. We spray paint, okay, that's close enough, start it here. And then we start putting up like fake walls. Like where's the bank going to start? Where's the line of sight? All that before anyone draws one thing. Because if we don't get that right, it's really re critical. You can't undo it. I mean, it's, well, you can, but you can shut the restaurant down and undo it, and it's not a good thing. Keith McNally opens Balthazar and Pastis. I mean, he's great at this. He actually builds, uh, I think, one one-hundredth scale models of the restaurant. Well, they're very expensive, 
but he builds them and he says, well, that, that's not right. That's too close. So he knows what the restaurant's going to feel like before he spends $3 million opening a restaurant. He might spend a few extra dollars, but it's really important. So that, that spatial element combined with the element of surprise that the customer decides, and yeah, they do decide whether they like the restaurant or not, but you got to convince them when they walk in that it's human, it's wow, everything is put at the right place, the tables are the right height, the chair heights are, I'm fanatic about chair heights. Probably the worst thing ever is when you have a chair that's too low, you'll never go back to that restaurant. You're eating like up here like a baby, like you feel like a kid. The table has to be a little lower than your elbow, so it's almost lower than normal. And that feels right, so you can sit like this and talk. Even if you're 6'2", it doesn't matter because we all sit the same. If it's too low, it's uncomfortable and you won't go. So, so that's a good tip for folks at home, right? If you're having people over, don't all sit down on the couch if you want to have a nice conversation. Gather around a table, get cozy. Got to choose. And, uh, and you, sit up yeah, straight, Yeah, and you right? got to choose chairs with a little shorter, probably 16 to 17-inch chairs off the ground with shorter legs. All these little things are so human. They have nothing to do. Notice we haven't mentioned money. We haven't mentioned the quality of the food, we haven't mentioned the chef, we haven't mentioned his artistry, his viewpoint, his what he's wearing, where he gets his lettuce from. None of that really is germane until all of these other things are put that person at ease. And I guess that urban landscape, spatial planning is something that I'm very, very aware of. So you got to get in that restaurant, feel good about where the door is, feel good about the bar, feel good about the table height, feel good about the person is where he's directing you. And then when you get in and the lighting is lovely and it's warm and there's enough of it and it's uplit, you're halfway there and you haven't even looked at a menu yet. So it really is about taking care to make sure everything is done correctly. And then people will naturally come back again. I think that people like an environment almost more than the food. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. 
For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Not to derail talk from your your restaurant exploits, but, you know, it's clear that you have to be a planner to succeed as you have, but you also have to be flexible to succeed as you have. So I want to go back to some of your earlier days, too, and, and ask you, after college, you traveled around France for a year, and that's something that a lot of people do, and it's something a lot of people dream about doing. I want to know what kind of traveler you are. When you did that, did you plan it all out? Did you have your list of things you wanted to do? Or were you adaptive? Did you kind of take things as they come on this journey abroad and, and diving into the culinary world of France? Well, here's what I planned. I planned economically because I didn't have any money. <laughs> so I think it was, I had 25 or $30 a day. I don't remember exactly how much, but it was not a lot. So I had to really you know, take it as I go. And, and it was it was terrific. So I was there sightseeing, you know, I ended up in the Italian Riviera in Monton, which is sort of like the Boca Grande of France. It's a very elderly population. <laughs> and it's sort of where they go to sort of retire and, and um, enjoy the their golden years. Uh, and I didn't know that, but it had really inexpensive hotel rooms. And it was really sort of beautiful and I could go hop on the uh, rail train and go to Ventimiglia or the Italian Riviera in one day and come back and I could just do that. So like, let's go to all these places I used to hear about from watching a lot of James Bond movies. So I had a little bit of a crazy James Bond thing going on in my head. I'm sure a lot of people in my age did. And the culture is everything really. The culture is what I had really was drawn towards. Yeah, the food and all that, it was, it was breathtaking because they've been doing it for 4,000 years. You know, we've been doing it for 300 years. So you can't compare and people say, well, it's so much better over there. I'm like, it's not better, it's different. It's, it's different because they have passed down traditions for three or 4,000 years that we are only beginning to understand and we can copy, but that's why everything feels different in Europe. So I, I had a blast, you know, and it was uh, very scary. Uh, I didn't speak French, but I quickly learned how to make my way around. A lot of people spoke English to me. And, you know, a smile goes a long way. You know, they really loved... A lot of people say, I don't like Americans. I didn't find that at all. Maybe it was just an age thing that I sort of had, you know, my uh, different colored lenses on back then. But uh, it was a delightful experience, something I'll never forget what it brought me and 
the views I have now are very much borrowed from that time abroad. One of the things that I've really enjoyed on the podcast that you do when you talk to your guests is you you ask them to share some of those formative smells and tastes and, and memories, those, those sense memories. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's always been really evocative. That's a great part of your show. And it's also a great thing to do when you're sitting around a table with a bunch of people. It's a, a great conversation starter. And, and you, Jeffrey, as a professional conversationalist, you already know that. But you know, as you, as you think back to this time, jetting around, whether you're hanging out with with the French and Italian retirees or pretending to be James Bond, what are the smells? What are the sounds? What are the what are the tastes that that really bring you back? Or what does that trip and that time in your life taste like? So when I ask people, what was the smell? The smell is the first thing. The taste is the second thing. The memory comes right out. It's like they can spit out where they are, what room they're in, what floor they're on. And if you can describe where you were, you can bring up some emotions. Everything is a memory and all tastes relate to memories. And those are the most vivid memories you have, I believe, at least I have. And I, I think that as long as I've known, I've been cooking for memory and I've been cooking for the memory of my aunt and my mom's food that they used to cook me all the time because I grew up in a family that just, we, you know, we cooked everything and it was great. We didn't go out to dinner a lot. We didn't have the finances to do that. But between my, my mother, who's a terrific Polish-Russian, cooking my aunts, four of them, who had amazing cooking skills. They're all Armenian, and they made every single thing from pickling. They, they grew the cucumbers, they pickled the peppers, they jarred everything. It was just, it was a remarkable thing. I had no idea. You know, I didn't know. This is what it tastes like. This is what a pepper tastes like, jarred and perfect. And I couldn't believe when I tasted the lesser equivalent, like, wow, that's just awful. So you grow up like that. By four or five years old, you're very much spoiled, and I think in a good way, very much like probably my children are today. But those memories, they don't linger and then go away like clothes or homes or moving or friends that you don't get in touch with. They stay with you forever. I'm still looking for that bite of lentils that I, my grandmother made with fried onions. I'm still looking for that sweetness of the blueberry pie that my mom did. Like they were so luscious. I still look for these things. And, and I've collectively have thousands of these memories because I was surrounded by all these memory builders. I mean, imagine having that. So I, I carry these tastes and memories with me to this day. And I, when I went to Europe and I tasted some things, there were so many tastes in Europe that made me think of my, my mother and my aunts. It was so specifically, almost remarkably similar. It was the way they treated the ingredients so it's this old world, real, fresh, done from scratch, not imperfect, but so valued and so warm and yummy. And wow, you know, I was like, good God. Then I turned the trip into, after a few months, into an eating trip. And I found the Michelin Guide and I started going around trying to like, so where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? And this was all in my head. So that very moment where I, I saw this happening and I was eating this food and feeling this was why I came back and decided to go to culinary school. So it wasn't that I was planning on being a chef. It's the chef part of it sort of found me. It found me so that ancestral memory that I had sort of, out of complete coincidence, just discovered by, by eating. And then luck came my way. I went to a casino and gambled, having never been to one, living out a fantasy in the Monte Carlo Casino, um, I won a lot of money. 
for a 20-year-old. And um, I decided to sort of spend all of it on food, and I did. <laughs> and I got my Michelin guide, and I learned what a Michelin star was, what a toque was, what a crosshatch on forks were. And I learned about the Michelin guide because it really wove its way through all of continental Europe. And I ended up spending every week at one of one, at least one three-star restaurant. I'd eat at lunch because it was the cheapest. It was a prefix menu. And I had one suit and I would wear it to lunch. I would order the prefix. I would have some wine. I would order more stuff. I would just eat everything. And I really, really saw now that construct of cultural element of food, how they treat food, the restaurant business, the front of the house, the back of the house, the dignity of the chef, the toque, the white, the, the owner, the, the interplay with the staff, that formality, all that, that dance, that ballet. And it, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. I fell in love with the theater, I must admit. The food brought me back, right? It brought me back to memories of, of that taste and where it was. And I was like, this is incredible. This is like my mom and my cousins and my aunts cooking. So that was okay. It didn't really dawn on me that this is something I could do for a living. What really, really excited me was the theater. And I, I started to understand the cadence of it. You know, usually it was the, the husband was the chef and the wife was in front. You get ready, you prep, you have a family meal, you sit together, you meet, and then you open the doors and it's like a, a curtain going up. And I saw that. I saw the curtain before I saw the act. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the napkin, the seat pulling, the naming, the how do you see people, where do you seat, the stations. It was like a Broadway show. And it was absolutely the most intoxicating part of the business. So uh, there I was at the end of that trip, having all these, I think I ate at 18 three-star restaurants. And I was 20, 21. And um, I came home and I told my parents, I don't want to go to get a degree, a graduate degree in economics. I want to be a chef. And I really was not happy about that. But I went to CIA in Hyde Park and I announced myself pretty boldly. And they said um, something to effect that, well, we can put you on a list. We have a two-year waiting list, something like that. I said, I, 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 that's too long. I was speaking to the director of admission. But I had a journal of what I was doing and where I went and what I ate. And I'm like, I have this journal. I've been doing this for a year now. And I don't think anybody on your staff or any of the teachers here have eaten in any of these places, let alone collectively. So I was very, I would say, forward <laughs> and obnoxious. They said, I'm so sorry, you know, we'll, we'll call you if something opens. I think it was a month, not even a month, I got a call and they said, we have something open, can you be here in two weeks? Mm -hmm. That was it. Jeffrey, I love that as a 20-year-old who comes across a, a windfall of cash through gambling, your immediate reaction to that was, now I'm going to eat really well. I think that's, that's, that's really <laughs> yeah, indicative. It's, it's great. And I, I hope... I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I, well, I especially really someone, well, you're you right. know, You studied economics. You were the kid reading the boring back pages of the newspaper. You could have taken that yep. money, come home, and, uh, and joined a bank. But the food is what drew you in. You know, I should have actually, Chris, because <laughs> compounded, compounded, I, you know, we'd probably be sitting on my jet having a cocktail. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jared Keller, and Tara Halper. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dresler. 
Our research is conducted by Jesslyn Shields. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. This episode was edited and written by Priya Mahadevan. Special thanks to Katie Fellman for help as recording engineer. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in-ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below-market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in-ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.